I'm Rachel Marshall, Deputy Editor of The Lancet Respiratory Medicine. Today I'm talking with Professor Adrian Martineau, Clinical Professor of Respiratory Infection and Immunity at the Centre for Primary Care and Public Health, Blizzard Institute, Barts and the London School of Medicine and Dentistry, Queen Mary University of London. Professor Martineau is the lead author of a new meta-analysis of individual participant data looking at the effects of vitamin D in people with asthma. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you. So what prompted this investigation into vitamin D in people with asthma? Well, there's a range of evidence suggesting that vitamin D might be of benefit to patients with asthma. First of all, from the lab, in vitro studies uh, show that vitamin D supports a range of antiviral uh, and anti-inflammatory responses. And of course, uh, asthma exacerbations are principally precipitated by viral respiratory infections, particularly in children. We also know that the uh, regulatory cytokine interleukin-10 is important in dampening down inflammation in the asthmatic airway, and vitamin D is known to induce that cytokine. So there was a strong a priori biological rationale to proceed to clinical studies. There are also a number of clinical studies uh, which have observed that low vitamin D status associates with increased risk of asthma exacerbation in both children and adults. On this basis, some years ago, uh, a number of randomized controlled trials uh, started to be conducted to investigate whether vitamin D supplementation might have a benefit for patients with asthma. Uh, And to date, eight of those studies have reported. And we, last year, conducted a meta-analysis of their results. Now, this was a Cochrane review, uh, an aggregate data meta-analysis in which we put together summary statistics from published papers and found that uh, vitamin D supplementation resulted in a statistically significant reduction in the rate of asthma exacerbations that required treatment with systemic corticosteroids. It also reduced the proportion of exacerbations that required either emergency department attendance or hospitalization. However, a question remained unanswered, which was, do all patients benefit from this intervention? Or is it just those, for example, who have lower baseline vitamin D levels? In order to investigate this, we set about this individual participant data meta-analysis. Great, thank you. And can you tell us about how the systematic review is conducted? Certainly. So we first of all uh, embarked on a search of multiple databases for uh, double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomised trials in which either supplements of vitamin D2 or vitamin D3 had been given to patients with asthma and in which the incidence of asthma exacerbation had been reported. All of these studies had to be of have been approved by a research ethics committee to be included in the analysis as well. Having identified uh, the relevant studies, we contacted authors to ask if they would be prepared to share raw data with us for the purpose of this analysis. Um, And the authors of all but one study were able to um, collaborate and provide data. We sent them a data extraction form and they sent us across a database with the relevant variables on it, which we then subjected to integrity checks, looking for internal consistency and replicating analyses in published papers where applicable. For each study, we also performed a risk of bias assessment using the Cochrane Risk of Bias Assessment tool. Uh, Having then integrated all the primary data into a single database, we proceeded to perform the individual participant data or IPD meta-analysis. And broadly, there are two statistical approaches to doing this. Uh, One is called a one-step meta-analysis in which individual participant data from all the trials are pooled in a single analysis and modeled simultaneously to look at the effects of intervention and do subgroup analyses. And the other is called a two-step analysis, which is more akin to the uh, aggregate data meta-analysis that perhaps people are more familiar with, where we analyze the effects of the intervention for each study separately and then pooled estimates of treatment effect um, to take an average and provide a bottom line in that way. The advantage of the two-step process, of course, is that it allows assessment of study heterogeneity in a way that the one-step analysis cannot. Having then 
run the analysis to look at the effects of vitamin D in the study populations as a whole. We then went on to conduct pre-specified subgroup analyses to see whether the effects of vitamin D supplementation varied, for example, according to participants' baseline vitamin D status, their age, their racial or ethnic origin, their body mass index, how the vitamin D was given, either in daily or bolus dosing, how much was given, and whether or not the participants used inhaled corticosteroids. And what did the review find? Overall, we replicated our finding from the Cochrane Review um, by demonstrating that vitamin D supplementation reduced exacerbation rate from 0.43 exacerbations per year to 0.30. That's around a 26% reduction in exacerbation rate. We also replicated the finding from the Cochrane Review that vitamin D reduced the risk of having at least one exacerbation that required emergency department attendance or hospitalisation uh, from 5.8% to 2.9%, so that's about a halving of risk. We then went on to do the subgroup analyses to see whether some patients benefited more from vitamin D supplementation than others. And our primary subgroup analysis of interest was the one which looked at baseline vitamin D status, because we've previously shown in work looking at acute respiratory infection that participants in other trials of vitamin D to prevent cold and flu have had significantly greater benefit in terms of protection if they have low baseline vitamin D levels to start with than those who have higher baseline vitamin D levels to start with. And we found a trend towards uh, such an effect in the current analysis. So in participants who had low 25-hydroxy vitamin D levels, that is those less than 25 nanomoles per litre or 10 nanograms per mil for American listeners, the exacerbation reduced rate was reduced um, by 77%, and that was a statistically significant reduction. When we looked at those who had slightly better vitamin D status at baseline, there was a trend towards protection around a 23% reduction, but it was not statistically significant with a p-value of 0.08. Moreover, the p-value for interaction, which is the p-value which indicates whether or not the effects of vitamin D formally differ between one group and another, was also non-significant at 0.25. And similarly, for all the other subgroups analysed, we found that the p-values for interaction were greater than 0.05. Thus, the conclusion from our review is that overall vitamin D supplementation reduced exacerbation rate, that is the rate of exacerbations requiring treatment with systemic corticosteroids, and the risk of having at least one exacerbation requiring emergency department or hospitalisation. But we didn't find formal incontrovertible statistical evidence that one subgroup benefited more than another from the intervention. And what implications do you think this systematic review might have for future research or clinical practice? Well, I think the first thing to say is that our findings are restricted to asthma exacerbations only. When we did the Cochrane review, we also looked at day-to-day uh, -day symptom control, for example, using asthma control tests. We looked at exhaled nitric oxide, lower airway eosinophilia, and we didn't see any effect of vitamin D on those outcomes. So for patients who have asthma but who don't experience exacerbations, we don't have evidence that vitamin D uh, is a benefit for their day-to-day -day symptom control. Um, for patients who do have exacerbations, I think there are broadly two approaches one could take, a, a pragmatic or a purist approach. The purists perhaps might uh, be cautious in introducing vitamin D supplementation in their patients on the grounds that, first of all, no individual trial has shown a benefit of vitamin D supplementation for prevention of exacerbation requiring uh, corticosteroids on its own. So it's only the meta-analyses that have revealed this effect. Now, that might be because the study, individual studies have been too small to uh, show the effect, but that might lead some clinicians to be a bit cautious about this. I think a second reason for caution is that certain populations with asthma were underrepresented in the analysis of the primary outcome. So children were relatively underrepresented, 
but also uh, patients with severe asthma who have frequent asthma exacerbations were relatively underrepresented as well. So a purist would say that uh, primary trials in those particular populations need to be conducted in greater numbers before one could have confidence that the intervention will be of benefit. However, on the more pragmatic side, there is an argument for testing one's patients for vitamin D deficiency and correcting it when one finds it. I think the rationale for such an approach is first that there's a strong biological rationale for doing so. We know that vitamin D does have these antiviral and anti-inflammatory actions. We know that viruses are the primary precipitant of asthma exacerbations. So uh, there's a pretty strong rationale for testing for and treating profound vitamin D deficiency in patients with asthma since they suffer more severe sequelae of viral respiratory infection than the general population. I think a second uh, reason to support testing and treating for vitamin D deficiency is that we have seen in this uh, meta-analysis a consistent signal from studies which were judged to be of high quality by independent reviewers using the Cochrane Risk of Bias Assessment Tool. So the quality of the individual studies is good. I think the third potential uh, factor to consider is that when one weighs up potential benefits of vitamin D supplementation against potential risks, they could easily be seen to uh, be in favour of supplementing. After all, vitamin D is a very safe, it's a physiological substance, a very safe supplement to give. Only very few populations who can suffer adverse effects from it, um, occasionally patients with sarcoidosis or primary hyperparathyroidism can be vitamin D hypersensitive, but those conditions are pretty unusual and one can actually uh, test a baseline calcium at the same time as doing the vitamin D level and uh, not give the supplement if one finds hypercalcemia, for example. So uh, overall, I think if I was seeing a patient in clinic who had recurrent exacerbations, my inclination would be to test their vitamin D status, and if I found it was low, to replace it on the grounds that there's a pretty good chance it will benefit them in terms of reduced exacerbation risk, and there's negligible risk of any adverse effect from that intervention. Thank you very much, Professor Martineau. Cheers, Rachel. Thanks a lot.